Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Over the summer we've been doing this series on the Reformation, celebrating its 500th anniversary. Uh, Each Sunday we've looked at a particular doctrine or belief. And um, as I think John Bryce mentioned right at the beginning of the series, it's not that this was new revelation that God was bringing at this time. It's more of a a rediscovery of certain truths, certain beliefs that um, the church had lost sight of. And I found the the series really helpful. I've also found it really um, challenging, actually. It's been helpful in just going over those core foundational beliefs. Um, That's been good for my soul, good for me. But it's been challenging because uh, there's the uncomfortable reality that the church still grapples with some of these issues and some of these beliefs. Uh, You think in terms of um, sola scriptura, um, scripture alone, well, it may be that the wider church doesn't um, say, um, question the authority of scripture as such, but there is that kind of that subtle approach of almost pick and mix. I'll take a bit of this, a bit of that, but I don't want any of that. Uh, if you think of grace alone, how often can we fall into that trap of trying to um, earn our own salvation and through our works make ourselves right with God? The famous um, composer Bach, uh, he lived in the shadow of Wartburg Castles where Martin Luther, that key figure in the Reformation, translated the New Testament into German. And he signed his works with two sets of initials. He signed them with J.S.B., his name, but also S.D.G., and that was Soli Dio Gloria, which means to God alone be the glory. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, giving God the glory. And interestingly enough, in that time, the Roman Catholic Church would have, even despite its kind of the honour that was given to the Virgin Mary, the honour given to the Pope, they would have said, no, no, to God be the glory. They would have adhered to that kind of belief. And I think that has been the most challenging thing for me about this um, kind of series, that you can hold a set of beliefs, you can hold a set of truths dear, but what's your practice? And that's been the real challenge for me. And for today... I think probably most of us would say, actually, God should get the glory. But the reality of it is that it can be a little bit of a struggle sometimes to, sh- um, to live that out in our lives. But we're going to look at a passage today which I think will be very helpful. It's in um, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. It'll come up on the screen. And it, um, it comes after just that famous discussion Jesus had with Nicodemus with probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. And And this passage kind of deals with the relationship between Jesus' ministry at that time that he was just starting and that of John the Baptist. And um, I think there's a lot for us to learn from this about how we can kind of glorify God in our lives. So we'll read it. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now, John was also baptised in Anon near um, Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, 
but one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens to him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for a fantastic um, time of worship where um, we're just reminded of the supremacy of your son. And Lord, I, I just pray that that will continue um, through. I have faith that um, your spirit wants to speak to us this morning. Um, you want to do some stuff in us um, because you love us, but also for your glory as well. And so we open our hearts to you and we pray that um, your word is proclaimed powerfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't use social media much, but um, despite that, I am aware of the phenomenon known as the humble brag. Now, this would be a, a statement that seemingly is modest or humble, but in reality is a bit of an outrageous boast. So um, I'm going to read a few um, examples here so you get an, um, an idea. And I think these are genuine ones. Don't worry, they're not any of yours, in case you're getting nervous. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, so, number one, it's really weird being friends with famous people. You hardly ever get to see them, and you have to schedule times to hang out a week ahead. Life really can be hard. Number two, oh, just seeing someone sitting opposite me on the train is reading my book. Quite embarrassed. Watching for signs of enjoyment, he's frowning. And finally, number three, a patient grabbed my bicep today and made some comments about muscles. It was a little awkward. Uh, there's a lot of humble bragging out there, and you can kind of think, what are these people like? But um, I have to say, I can't really relate to the bicep one, but although I don't use social media, I can see sometimes when I drop a bit of a humble brag into to conversation. And there is that strong urge and that kind of pressure to promote ourselves um, in today's society. And it's such, to such an extent that we found increasingly creative ways of doing it. Um, as, um, and so this pressure to promote a particular image of yourself um, to impress people is strong. If you think in terms of social media, it's not really the forum for displaying weakness. It's not really the forum for displaying true humility. It becomes like a vicious cycle. Someone posts something imp impressive, um, you feel bad about yourself, as Owen was saying, you may feel the need to prove yourself in some way, and you then post something impressive as well. And it may not even always be true. Um, the world seems to be set up in a way that not only do you have to look after number one to succeed, to be a success, but you need to let everyone else know how well it's going for number one. Uh, John the Baptist didn't live in the social media age, but he did experience pressure. Um, in verse 26, the, his disciples come to him saying, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Later on in the um, Gospel of John, we get a few more details in chapter 4. It's more that Jesus was overseeing his disciples administering the baptism of John. 
Um, but this provokes a, um, a reaction amongst John's disciples. And our egos can be quite sensitive things. And when our egos are hurt, um, they can lead us to overreact. And I think John's disciples do this because they say everyone is going to him. But quite clearly they weren't. John, was, John the Baptist was still baptizing people. And it's also interesting that um, it was John's followers coming to him, his disciples. These are people who probably wanted the best for John, had his best interests at heart, had good intentions, thinking that maybe they were helping, going, but what are you going to do about this guy? He's baptizing. Now everyone's going to him. Um, the first step, and it's quite a simple one, in trying to live a life that glorifies God is just recognizing there's going to be a lot of pressure not to. Um, and the pressure can even come from those people close to you, maybe with good intentions. And as Christians, we need to be like, prepared for the pressure. You need to be like, prayerful, um, have that good prayer relationship with God, be rooted in the Word, come to church and experience the fantastic times of worship we had this morning where you're just reminded of the importance of Jesus. Um, but there's another side of it, thinking about those who don't know Jesus yet, and actually um, being aware of the weight of pressure people feel to prove themselves. The weight of pressure they feel to make sure people think they're impressive, an important person. And to have compassion on that, because sometimes we can find that we can respond well, respond in love to a certain type of brokenness, and we're good at that, but responding to pride and arrogance... That can be tough, but brokenness, all types of brokenness, it's rooted to sin, and sin's the same. It deserves our compassion. It deserves Christ's love to come in. If the first step um, to glorifying God is recognizing the pressure not to, the second is remembering our purpose. Um, John's response to his disciple just gives a real insight in how to kind of resist the pressure, and that is remembering your purpose. In verse 28, he says... You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. Um, the Gospels of Mark and Luke phrase it in a slightly different way, um, referencing like Old Testament prophecy. They say, behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare the way. And John the Baptist is aware of this purpose. He is not the Messiah. His job is to prepare the way for him. In different walks of life, business, politics, sport, you can come across people who give the impression that they seem to enjoy the limelight. Uh, they're gifted, great at what they do, but they start to enjoy that position of prominence to such an extent that when it's time to give it up for any reason, they can't, they struggle with it. And it's even to the detriment of the greater good. John the Baptist doesn't have that problem. Before Jesus started his ministry, John was experiencing a lot of success. God was blessing what he was doing. He had his own followers Yet when Jesus, the light of the world, comes, he knows it's almost time to move off the stage a bit. And he's comfortable with that. He's so comfortable with that God-given purpose that he can relinquish the position of prominence he had and let Jesus take it. And it's humbling to see that attitude from John the Baptist. For him to be so heavily involved in something, but then to recognize when it's time to move aside. Um, my question for you would be, what's your attitude to the things that God has entrusted you with? Uh, this summer, we have the 
World Athletics Championships. Um, I'm not sure about you, but I, um, I really enjoyed these kind of um, championships always end with the relays. I think we're going to have a photo coming up. That's of the, the victorious um, GB um, 4 by 100 meter um, relay team. I think we might be able to watch a clip of the race. <laughs> um, as sad as it was to see Usain Bolt fall at that last moment, it was great to see um, GB win. Uh, the key to any relay race is... Um, <laughs> and the joy of the Lord came upon him at that moment. <laughs> Uh, the key to any relay race is making sure that the transitions go well. So that bit when one athlete passes the baton to the next person. And in that race, I think you saw the, um, the GB team, they executed that flawlessly. Every changeover went smoothly. Um, that's not always the case with relay races. And actually, that's not normally the case with the British team, actually. They normally mess it up in some way. Sometimes they drop the baton. There's other times when they hold on to it that little bit too long, but, um, but in the end, they end up being um, disqualified. Uh, as Christians, we're all called to play a part in um, the church. And part of the Reformation was the rediscovery of that truth. It's for everyone, not just the, the clergy or the people who stand up the front. Um, so some of, you, some of you here may feel that calling um, specifically about serving the church full-time. For others, you know you then serve God in the church, but you also have a strong sense of calling about your particular area of work. Um, wherever it is you feel that powerful strength and calling, 
Would you be able to be like John and recognize where your role in that calling starts and when it ends? Um, imagine if that guy running the first leg had thought to himself, I don't want that, um, the last athlete to get all the glory of crossing the line. I don't want him to have that experience, that joyful experience. I want it for myself. This baton is mine. And instead of handing it over, he just sprinted round the whole way. It would be ridiculous. Um, but sometimes we can feel so passionately about something and hold it so tightly that if God ever asks us to let it go, it would be hard. Um, now, you need to be, it's in, the importance of being open to God. And what I really do want to make clear here, the response to this isn't for you all to go, well, I'm going to stop serving at church. I'm not wanting a call from Owen next week saying, thanks for your talk, but next Sunday you're doing PowerPoint, PA, and leading worship. But you do need to respond in a prayerful attitude to those things that you hold dear and those things that you feel passionate about. Um, so what's the final step? And the final step is if we're going to live lives that glorify God, it's forgetting ourselves. Uh, one of the best Christian books I've ever read is by a pastor called Tim Keller, um, who leads a church in New York. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And in it, he addresses an issue um, that he seems to sees as one of the main ones in the world. And it's that about our egos and how fragile they can be. Uh, the world says that you must think highly of yourself. You must build yourself up. If someone's experiencing problems in life, it's most likely to be linked to a lack of self-esteem. Um, Tim Keller argues against this and shows that how such an approach leads to pride, leads to arrogance, like an over-reliance on ourselves and a, um, a mistaken belief that we're capable of all things. Um, that's the one extreme. The other would be those people who you'd come across who are crippled by self-doubt, um, painfully insecure, and, and, and struggle with that. And he says that at the root of it is the same problem. It's just an obsession with ourselves. The mark of someone who's been truly transformed by the gospel is you stop thinking about yourself so much. You don't think too much of yourself. You don't think too little. You just think about yourselves less. Um, a person who is transformed by the gospel recognizes what Jesus has done, all those fantastic lyrics of the, song that we, of the songs we sung this morning, about how it's about him, how we don't need to prove ourselves, how he made a way. Someone who lives like that just has, is caught up in the wonder of God, a loving concern for others, and they're just no longer self-obsessed. Um, um, now, um, this is a hard question to hear, and I say it because I've asked myself about it this week. Um, what's your thought life like? Those times, and I know we all do it when you're daydreaming or your mind's drifting at work, what do you think about? Is it mostly yourself? If something happened, is your first thought, how does that affect me? Um, sometimes those can be useful kind of things just to be thinking about. If our mind is preoccupied with those kind of thoughts, all about our own concerns, it's where we can let Jesus come in and make us be caught up in what he's doing. He must become greater, I must become less. At this point in God's story of salvation, John the Baptist knew that Jesus' ministry must become greater and his had to become less. Not only did he recognize that, his response to this transition is enlightening. 
Um, I wonder how I would have responded in that situation, whether it would have been something like, yeah, I know, I know, but I've come to the point grudgingly when I can let Jesus take his place and do what he needs to do. Uh, for John, he compares it to a friend who attends the bridegroom, waiting and listening for him, and how the friend is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom voice. Jesus, the light of the world, has come. And John the Baptist can now say, that joy is mine, and it is now complete. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. And the implication of that being, the satisfaction you find in life will never be complete if you ever put something ahead of Jesus. If there's yourself or something else, you'll never then experience the true satisfaction that your loving Father in heaven wants for you. Um, and that's the beauty of, I think, the, the great thing about that Tim Keller book, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Sometimes we can get caught up in the lie of believing, actually, if I'm going to experience true joy, if I'm going to get the most out of life that I want to, I have to think about myself. I have to make sure that everything is go going according to my plan and what I want. But actually, it's when we stop doing that that we're liberated from that, when Jesus breaks that in us, that we can experience true joy. Um, verse 31, which immediately follows the passage we read, says, For one who comes from above is above all. For one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from earth. For one who comes from heaven is above all. Irrespective of how your relationship, how you feel your relationship is currently like with Jesus, good, bad, non-existent, the truth, the reality is he is above all. He is worthy of the honor. He is worthy of praise. He died for your sin so you can have a relationship with God. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's time to stop glorifying what is earthly, what is human, and glorify what is heavenly. Um, I realize it's been a bit shorter today, but I think it'd be great to have an opportunity to respond, actually, if the band can um, come up. And actually, I was um, talking to Matt before the service, and I, I said, I want a response. I said, oh, sure, any of the songs will be fine. But actually, as we went through the worship time, any of the songs will be fine. <laughs> They're so focused on Jesus and what he's done um, for us, it was, it was just fantastic. And actually, as I've been preparing, I've really been thinking about maybe like three groups that um, particularly we may want to respond. And I feel there's probably people here who have set up their lives in such a way that there's very little room for God to get in. And the result being that you just end up kind of living a life that's focused on yourself, glorifying yourself. There's just very little room for God to to come into, um, into your life. And also I feel there's people who actually, they hear from God, they sense the Holy Spirit prompting them, um, hear his voice, but they've just become so used to saying no to God and yes to themselves, but that's just become the pattern of their lives. And the final group maybe, and this is, uh, in some ways it's a tough one to um, explain, but it's like people who strongly feel they have the call of God on their life. Maybe to seed out through the church, it may be in their place, but they strongly feel that. But gradually and subtly over time, 
the call has become more about them than it has been about God. And actually, they may even have ended up in a situation where they love the call, but they don't love God as much. And, it, me, and they're, they're placing their value in that. So I think um, it would be great to respond to that. If you kind of feel you're in those groups that you're kind of, your life has very little room for God or you just become used to saying um, yes to yourself, no to God, or there's something around this call, um, just in your hearts as the song is playing, um, respond, recommit, um, recognize that actually gee, um, God wants the best for you. He loves you. He came to break your selfishness, if that is an issue for you. He came that you can live a life where you can fulfill the purposes he has for you as an individual and in the church as well. So I'll just pray to, I'll just pray to close. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for your son. And Lord, we thank you for the example of John the Baptist, that I'm someone who served you so powerfully, recognized it was about Jesus and recognize the moment where I need to become less, he needs to become more. And Lord, I, I pray that we would be able to live that out. And Lord, I pray, as that um, one of the lyrics of the song we sung earlier, Lord, light of the world forever reign. Not us, light of the world forever reign. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.